on your PC, iPod or smartphone. This is the girlsplayfooty.com podcast. Coming up on the 18th edition of the girlsplayfooty.com podcast for 2017, we've got the latest women's world footy rankings with Troy Thompson from World Footy News. We give you the latest trade and free agency news to date. Plus, we take an in-depth look at state league footy with Matthew Cox, Lauren Hodgson, Alison Schiller and Aaron Russell. All of that coming up on the girlsplayfooty.com podcast. I'm Peter Holden and welcome to the 18th edition of the girlsplayfooty.com podcast for 2017, our third season on the air. And a quick reminder that you can listen to this podcast as a radio program a Wednesday evenings about quarter past six Melbourne time on RSN Carnival. That's digital radio in Melbourne and also streamed via the RSN app and on the website rsn.net.au forward slash digital radio. Tune in 6.15pm Australian Eastern Standard Time. Plan to get through on this week's episode episode as we take a look back at what happened in the draft and free agency period. But before we do that, the latest worldfootynews.com women's world footy rankings have been released. As expected, obviously Australia is ranked number one, even though we've never played a game. It's assumed that Australia would never be beaten. But uh, you could say the uh, Clayton's number one, officially ranked two on the ladder, is the current IC champions in the Canadian Northern Lights. And to talk us through how the women's world footy rankings work and obviously about his own website. We've got Troy Thompson on the line. Troy, thanks very much for joining us here at Girls Play Footy. For those at home that haven't come across your website, what is the worldfootynews.com site all about? Uh, Basically about promoting footy uh, played all around the world and I guess also the international aspects of uh, footy played in Australia. And, of course, you've got some great articles there on both men's and women's. And and one unique thing to your site is the World Footy Rankings. Now, how did the idea for this all come about? Uh, I guess footy has been going overseas for a long time. Um, There was uh, various arguments about who was stronger and who would beat who over the years. Uh, And there was no official ranking system. So uh, one of the guys on our who writes our site, Cam Holmes, put it out there that he would start up a, a ranking system and then it went through a long amount of debate about what system should be used and what would count and the, I guess the uh, various outcomes based on his system, whether they were fair and um, representative of what was actually happening out there. So I guess you're looking for a system that when you look at it, it will give you a fair idea if those two teams played, you know, where they would be against each other. Now, there's a few things that we should obviously point out with the system. One, of course, for both the men's and women's, you have a default number one. Yes, the default number one is Australia. So the assumption is made that if uh, Australia was playing any other nation currently, that uh, they would win fairly handily. So even though there are no uh, official matches in the ranking system that Australia has played, they are number one in both the men's and women's. Now, because the women's uh, game has only been around for a, for a shorter period of time than the men's, or they don't have as much opportunity to play, I believe the, the most amount of uh, international matches played by any women's side sits somewhere around about uh, 17? Yeah, I think at the moment the Canadians... Um, oh, sorry, Ireland have played 17, that's right. And Canada, Canada and USA have played 14. Uh, with a large number of those against each other, obviously. Okay, so let's have a look at the ranking system now. I believe you've uh, you've broken into two sections, an official ranking and a provisional ranking. Uh, how does this all work? 
so I guess to make it fair on uh, the existing teams, when a new team comes in, if they happen to, to you know, automatically win a few games against an easy nation, they could be ranked higher. So we've basically based it on uh, the IRB, International Rugby Board, I believe it is, system. So every team starts with 40 points. And then based on relatively where the teams they play are above them or below them, um, they will, if they win a match, they will increase their points or if they lose a match, they will lose their points. And there's uh, some weighting um, for uh, the amount they win by and also weighting on whether it's uh, like they played at home as such, um, whether that'll be in their own nation or if they're playing like an international cup, it'll be on a neutral ground, so there's no waiting for that, but there is also a bonus for International Cup wins um, because we rate that competition more highly. So let's have a look at the uh, ladder going back in reverse. First of all, you've got seven provisional teams, but out of those seven, one of them will be due to join the official ranking shortly. Yeah, so to become an officially ranked team, you have to have played eight matches. Um, And in the uh, London series just completed... Uh, Canada Midnight Suns have now played their eighth international match, even though they are, I guess, the reserve team of Canada. Um, they've played enough genuine international matches. And that also, by the way, needs to include uh, no expats playing uh, for those teams for them to be eligible matches to be for the rankings. Let's have a look at the uh, bottom of that table. Now, first of all, you've got, uh, for example, sides like uh, the US, the USA Liberty, Tonga, the Australian Indigenous multicultural side that played in one tournament, Papua New Guinea as well. And I believe all of this is because they did play in one tournament. So essentially, uh, that's why they're down the bottom with those lower ranked points. Yeah, that's right. So the PNG matches from IC11, um, the Liberty and Tonga matches in Fiji, all from uh, IC14, and uh, the Australian Indigenous team also were in uh, 2011. So should they uh, play at the IC Centre 17 tournament, Fiji, Tonga, PNG, all likely, and also European Crusaders uh, who've played some matches in Europe um, are all likely to become officially ranked in that tournament. So we're likely to go from, I believe, currently five ranked sides to something like about 10 uh, just through this August uh, International Cup. Yeah, that's right. And some of those will obviously come in um, with the the points that they have now, um, possibly above the existing five teams that are currently ranked. And it seems to be working out as a good system thus far because if we go to the top of the table, this is excluding Australia, of course, um, the number one non-Australian side uh, is the Canadians who are currently the IC champions. Yeah, that's right. Um, by far the best team uh, at the last International Cup and uh, well out ahead on points at the moment over the US. Um, I guess they probably dominated some of those uh, 49th Parallel Cup matches over the past few years as well. What might surprise a few people is the United States is ranked above Ireland, but I believe it's just simply because of the number of games that Ireland have played and the opponents that they've played against of late have uh, uh, knocked up some defeats, and that means deduction in points, am I correct, in your system? Yeah, so, I mean, Ireland are putting out their national team when they play their matches in Europe that have been used for these rankings, but 
that usually is a very different team to the team that they'll bring to an international cup. So, um, which in the past has had um, a lot of players, half um, their players who have been Australian-based playing in Australian competition, some of them never actually having played in Ireland. Um, but then when they're back playing in Europe, they don't have those players because they, they, they remain in Australia. So um, their strength, depending on when they're playing, they're actually much stronger when they play in Australia than they are when they play in Ireland. And uh, once the um, other sides start to get enough games to qualify and get out of provisional ranking, the side that everyone's talking about, the GB Swans, um, you're kind of got them at the moment above Ireland sitting in fourth. Yeah, so obviously they've started off very strongly. Um, a number of their matches have been against Ireland and, and been beating them um, that have counted for the rankings so far, but also they've beaten, uh, I think, the European Crusaders. And uh, uh, did they beat the Midnight Suns on the weekend? Oh, they lost the Midnight Suns because they fielded um, they did, seven new players. They did beat Ireland. Yeah, yeah. But they beat Ireland. Yeah, so that's... That's the reason why, at the moment, they would come in strong. Um, and then probably after the International Cup, the rankings should fairly represent where they stand against uh, those nations after those points are divvied out. Now, just before we let you go, as we said, the current system looks like this. Australia, obviously, ranked number one, followed by Canada. Uh, including the provisional rankings, you'd have US, Great Britain, Ireland, Fiji, uh, European Crusaders, Papua New Guinea, and Tonga. Of course, you'll be covering a lot of these sites, won't you, during the upcoming uh, AFL International Cup in August? Absolutely. So uh, we'll be putting our resources into uh, covering doing match write-ups of all the matches across the tournament and uh, hopefully having them preserved for history. And just before we let you go, I know it's still two months out, but who do you think might make the grand final out of the women's and who do you think will be the eventual champions? Well, without sitting on the fence, (laughs) um, I think that uh, Canada have to go in as the favourites with their record, their continued development at home, I think, uh, is very strong. Ireland will be their obvious challenger, I think. Um, as I said, they're much stronger out here and have more Australian-based players, but uh, their development at home is not as strong, so I don't see them catching Canada this time around. Well, Troy, thank you very much for joining us here on Girls Play Footy, and we look forward to uh, catching up with you in a couple of months' time when the AFL International Cup rolls around in Melbourne. Thanks, Peter. Well, the first ever AFL women's trade period ran from Monday, May 22nd through to Friday, May 26th. Now, no doubt Nicholas Stevens and Taylor Harris were the most famous names thrown about during the trade period. But let's just try and break it down for you one by one through the clubs. What exactly happened? Who got what during trade period? This is exclusive, of course, from the free agency period. First of all, for the Adelaide Crows during trade period, no one in and technically no one out. Gibson was, of course, in the free agency period. We'll touch on that in a moment. So Adelaide did not trade for anyone to come in, did not trade anyone to go out. No picks change hands for the Premiers. Everything remained as is. For the Brisbane Lions, the most famous thing, of course, was Taylor Harris, their marquee player, expressing that she wanted to move to Melbourne, ideally that she wanted to Carlton, and and that's where she ended up. The Brisbane Lions doing a trade where Taylor Harris got to the Blues in exchange for Carlton's Isabella Eyre and Nat Exxon. Many looking back at that reckon the Lions got the better of the deal, considering they've got a like-minded Ford and Isabella Eyre, plus they picked up that running player in Nat 
Exxon. For the Carlton Blues, boy, were they busy. They were throwing out draft picks to try and get the two players that they wanted. This is what happened. The first move, of course, saw Nicholas Stevens come to them from uh, Collingwood. They also picked up Taylor Harris from the Brisbane Lions and gained pick 12 along the way. But they sacrificed Bianca Jacobson to the Melbourne Demons, who originally was pegged to go up to the Lions. But again, State of Victoria went to Melbourne, Bella Air, and that Exxon up to the Lions. And they also traded out picks 5, 13, and 21. The majority, of course, going to the Collingwood Magpies in that deal to try and get Nicola Stevens, who was the Collingwood best and fairest. At the Magpies, they managed to get in Jamie Lambert from the Western Bulldogs. That occurred because the Magpies had picked up pick one from GWS. Uh, that forced uh, the Bulldogs, who really wanted the first pick in the draft, to negotiate with Collingwood, giving them Lambert to get that draft pick. So in the end, the Magpies end up with Lambert, pick three, pick nine, pick 13, and pick 21, which should see them pick up some quality youngsters in the draft. They lost Nicholas Stevens, their best and fairest. They lost their second best and fairest, Alicia Eva, to the GWS Giants, who was expressing a move to go up to New South Wales. They also lost pick four and pick 12 in that uh, trade. And as we said, pick one they technically had, but that was originally on sold from the GWS Giants through to the Bulldogs. The Fremantle Dockers, no one in, no one out officially during the trade period. For the Greater Western Sydney Giants, they were busy and they managed to get Alicia Eva. Pepper Randall, they picked up from Melbourne. They also picked up Maddie Boyd from Melbourne and picks three, five, and 21. They lost Ashley Guest, who returned to Melbourne as part of that swap with Pepper Randall. Uh, pick one, which eventually went to the Bulldogs, and pick nine, of course, to the Pies. Uh, for the Melbourne Demons, they got in Ashley Guest from the GWS Giants. They got in Bianca Jackson from Carlton. And they also picked up pick 33, a late draft pick, which they might use to get an experienced defender. Watch for that. They lost Pepper Randall and Matty Boyd uh, heading up to the GWS Giants. The Western Bulldogs picked up Deanna Berry, which was seen as a pretty good uh, trade considering they lost Jamie Lambert, very uh, like-minded attacking uh, mid. Uh, they also picked up pick one and pick four, which should see them get uh, the best young forward going around and picking up a quality midfielder as well. Again, they lost Lambert to Collingwood and they lost pick three. That is how the trade period ended up. Free agency as of Tuesday night, the 30th of May, looked like this. Callie Gibson and Alex Williams have both ended up at the Fremantle Dockers. Gibson was offered a lesser contract than what she was on in 2017 by the Crows. She decided to exercise her right to become a free agent and she's virtually being picked up for nothing by the Dockers. Likewise with Alex Williams, who was delisted by the GWS Giants, she has now ended up at the Fremantle Dockers. Uh, also, we have seen Melbourne re-sign a delisted player. Of course, you had to have a maximum of 22 and 5 off the list. And now in the free agency period, they've elected to get Harriet Cordner back onto the Melbourne list. The other person that changed hands, surprisingly, was Jess Anderson. Now, Jess Anderson was delisted by Melbourne and the Bulldogs swooped, knowing that they needed to bolster their forward half. So Jess Anderson recruited out of Melbourne University, Melbourne last year, now Western Bulldog, courtesy of the free agency period as of Tuesday night, the 30th of May. May. Staying on AFLW for a moment, during the VFL Women's pregame show on RSN Carnival on Sunday, uh, we caught up with the Seaford Tigerettes coach, Brett Alexander, and we'd ask him had any of the AFLW recruiters been in contact with him to try and pick his brains about who's some good upcoming talent coming through the system. Now, remember, uh, around this time last year, the licences hadn't even been handed out yet to the uh, eight AFLW clubs. So now that they've got a full off-season and pre-season, they have a longer period to look at 
possible recruits. And this is what Brett had to say about whether the AFLW clubs had been in contact yet. Um, not so much yet. Um, I know last year leading into the, the draft, there was a, definitely a lot of um, clubs recruiters that would contact me during the week or want to look at vision and things like that. Um, whereas I haven't had so much of that this year yet, but I have had like the clubs contact me about the current AFL players, just asking me, you know, can you look at keeping this in mind, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So they've definitely had contact with me about those sorts of things, but not so much on possible recruits for the end of this season at this stage. I reckon that will probably come to back after the season. They'll have a fair idea who they're looking at and probably want to pick my brains about, you know, I suppose, the more of their characteristics in the workings of the other club and what they're like and that. So I'm expecting that in the back half of the season. Is those conversations with the, the AFLW clubs changing the way you're coaching those particular players, putting them in other potential positions yeah. to make them more versatile? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like they've um, you know, requested, oh, can you think about playing such and such in a position like this or can you work on that? And uh, like I said, within the team dynamics, if, it, if I can work it into what we're trying to do for our structures or that, then I'm happy to, to support the girls and the, and the clubs in that because obviously they're trying to prep them as best they can for the upcoming season as well. So, yeah, as long as we can work it into what our dynamics of what we want, then I'm happy to support the individual player and the, and the clubs as well. That audio taken from our pre-game show on RSN Carnival on Sunday prior to the Eastern Devils Seaford Tigerettes match. And a quick reminder as well on RSN Carnival Sunday morning, June 4th from 10am for the pre-game show Bounce Down at 11. We'll be bringing you the 8th versus 9th clash of the Box Hill Hawks versus Cranbourne Eagles from Box Hill City Oval as part of round 4 of the Swiss Wellness VFL Women's Competition. Well, just about all the state leagues have got underway right across Australia, but the last competition to get going was the Adelaide Footy League Women's Division 1. Now, the reason behind this is uh, there was a different situation in South Australia where they had a summer competition, Sandfell Women's, which was running almost parallel to the AFLW, just started two weeks later and finished two weeks later. So because of that, they decided to give a break to those elite footballers and Division 1 of what was the old SAWFL, now known as Adelaide Footy League Women's, Uh, started at the end of May and, of course, will run through traditionally until September. So now to finally look back at what was round one, we've got on the line Alison Schiller. Alison, thank you very much for joining us and you must be excited. Finally, Adelaide Footy League Women's Division 1 underway. And, yes, we've been waiting anxiously for this one and we had some great close games and, and one maybe not so close that we'll get into later on. Well, let's have a look at Sunday. It was at Alberton Oval, 3 o'clock. It was the Battle of the Magpies. Yes, the two Magpie teams taking each other on. We had the Port Adelaide Magpies and we had the Salisbury Magpies. I'll refer to them as Port Adelaide Maggies and the Salisbury Pies, um, which basically was it was a good close game. Um, but Port Adelaide, unfortunately, let the Salisbury Magpies have a good head start in the first quarter with Salisbury kicking 5-3 to one point. Um, but then to Port Magpies' credit, they then held Salisbury goalers for a half a game while helping themselves to four goals. But Salisbury Pies kicked a couple in the final quarter to take out the game by 16, with the final score being Port Adelaide Magpies 32 and Salisbury Magpies 48. Now the goal kickers uh, for Salisbury, Ashley Jade Woodland helped herself to four. She was the biggest goal kicker of the day. And then a goal apiece to Candice Pryor, Courtney Inch and Nicole Baker. Best players for the team uh, for Salisbury, uh, Shay Goodluck. And um, good luck with me if I've said that correctly. Ashley J. Woodland, Nicole Mark, Nicole Baker, and Jamie Lee Sonneman. 
moving on to the Port Adelaide Magpies, I actually was lucky enough to speak to Emma Sampson uh, prior to the game. Now, Emma's their coach, and she also was the coach in the SANFL, the North Adelaide team that got into the um, grand final there against Norwood. So plenty of experience there for Emma. And they had two players there by the name of Kat Reynolds, which is one to keep a lot, and Kirsty Moran, uh, otherwise known as Cat and Beans, uh, playing their 50th games for the Port Adelaide Maggies. The goals there for the day are Zania Rice kicked two, with Rebecca Wanganin, Sonia Holderham and Kat Reynolds uh, one apiece. Best on the ground, Karen Davison, Shia Hiscock, Kat Reynolds, Beck McMahon and Zania Rice. Now the players to watch, the tip I've been given, Beck McMahon, who, who plays off the halfback, and Kat Reynolds, who's the captain, and she had a shoulder Rico last year, and she's a good tough midfielder. So that was the results for uh, Port Adelaide Maggies and Salisbury. At Callant Reserve, it was the old foes, Morpherville Park and West Adelaide going toe-to-toe, and the game delivered. Absolutely. Now, this was a this was a grand final rematch. So the Morphy Roos versus West Adelaide. Now, the Roos did lead at every change, with Westies making a late charge in the final quarter. Unfortunately, they just fell short by two points with a tight game of 37-35. to 35. For the Morpheus, the goal kickers, uh, Caitlin Swanson kicked three, Ron Winona Bosley, Eloise Jones, who may be familiar to some from the under-18 championships, uh, kicked a goal apiece. Best players, well, Eloise Jones makes an appearance here with Lisa Whiteley, Angela Moritz, Ellie Kellogg and Lindsay Big. For the Westies, uh, Kate Hilton kicked three, Megan Rich and Catherine Brown kicked one apiece. And their best players were Taylor Gordon, Shannon Solly, Alison Evans and Sarah Maciero. Let's have a look at the final game of round one at University Oval. And boy, did Adelaide Uni make a statement against Modbury. Uh, Adelaide Uni proved they will be a force to be reckoned with this year. They absolutely monstered the Modbury Hawks by 160 points, with the score being 167-7. to seven. So Adelaide Uni helped themselves to seven goals six in the first quarter and Modbury couldn't even get it on the board, unfortunately. Modbury did all their scoring in the second quarter, kicking 1-1 for their total score of seven, whereas Adelaide Uni went on to kick, get up to 13 goals in the second, 19 by the end of the third, and finished with 25-17, 1-6-7 in the final there. So not a good day for Modbury. Um, but Adelaide Uni did gain approval for two AFLW players in the Premiership, Stars and Hatchard and Justine Mills, who both definitely had an impact on the game. Adelaide Uni goal kickers, well, they had 10 goal kickers for the day, which is obviously very reflective of the score. Ruth Wallace with a fantastic seven goals. Stacey Richardson kicked four. Courtney Dunn, she kicked three. And two each to Emma Jane Pinion, Cassandra Sumbras. Jessica Edwards, Anne Hatchard, with singles to Kelly Baltrop, Emma Alexander and Tate Mackerel, who I believe Tate is another, she was the vice-captain in the Under-18 Girls Championships as well. Their best players, Ruth Wallace has to get a mention in here for her seven. Courtney Gum, Jessica Edwards, Stacey Richardson, Justine Mills and Whitney Benson. Now, tough day at the office for poor old Modbury. The goals, Abby Shear, uh, kicked their solitary one there. Their best players, Jessica Meachin, Nicole Tucker, Courtney Roberts, Chloe and Debbie Shear. 
Now, Chloe was the, I believe she was the SANFL Powerade Star Search winner, and she's also eligible for the draft, so that's one I'm going to be keeping a close eye out on. Uh, other best players, Rasheen Blomson, and as I mentioned before, a very tough day for the girls down there. So, at the moment, oh, sorry, Peter, did you have a question there? I was going to say, how's the ladder looking like at the moment after the first round? Well, after the first round, Adelaide Uni is sitting top right front and centre up there with their percentage of 95.98. And obviously the teams that won, Salisbury and Morfittville, are following up behind there. Salisbury with a percentage of 60 and Morphys are on 51.39. Then we've got the three teams that unfortunately didn't get across the line, being Westies on 48.61, Port Adelaide on an even to 40, and poor old Modbury are on 4.02, which they will be hoping in the following week to be able to make some changes to that. So let's have a look ahead to round two this weekend, and uh, it all kicks off with Saturday night football, Saturday 3rd of June, 6.30pm at Modbury. Yeah, it's got a nice game there. The Modbury Hawks looking for redemption. And we've got the Port Adelaide Magpies, and they'll also be looking for their, both teams looking for their first win. Um, just going by the scores there, I think the Port Adelaide Maggies will get across the line there. And I'm hoping to see Modbury to gain some improvement, at least get some more scoreboard pressure there as well. On Sunday, 1.30pm at Aldi Arena, the Bloods hosting Salisbury. Yes, so the Bloods would be desperate for a win. Salisbury obviously coming off their first for the year. It'd be, I reckon this one could be a nice tight game. Um, at the moment, unless there's any AFLW players sneaking into the teams, I'm thinking the Westies might take this one out, considering the showing they put in up against the Morphy Roos. And finally, at 3pm at Callant Reserve, the Morphy Roos hosting Adelaide Uni. Well, this one was very interesting. You've got the reigning premiers up against Adelaide Uni with their absolute monster of a game. I... On form alone, and only one game of a small sample size, as they say. But you would have to think Adelaide Uni would be in the box seat here. But it'll give Morphy Roos a good look at where they're at, or maybe a good look at where Modbury are at, depending on how they go up against Adelaide Uni. Well, thank you very much for your time again, Alison. We look forward to catching up with you next week to talk a little bit more about the Adelaide Footy League women's competition. And again, where can people catch the Two Crows podcast? Yes, you can catch us at up Two Crows podcast, hashtag Two Crows. Let's turn now to the Tasmanian State League Women's Competition, round four on the weekend where the Bernie Dockers had the bye in the other two games. Clarence 5-7-37 went down by five points to Glenorchy 6-6-42 in a thriller at Jalston Bay. Uh, and Lonnie 9-4-58 defeated the Tigers one straight six. After four rounds in that competition, the ladder looks as such. Clarence on top, three wins, one loss. Glenorchy three wins, Launceston two wins, one loss, and yet to get a win, Bernie or the Tigers. For round five, Clarence have the bye. The Tigers hosting Bernie Sunday, 12pm at Twin Ovals, and on Sunday, 2pm at Windsor Park, Launceston host Glenorchy. Let's turn our attention now to the Bond University QWAFL, and I've got on the line our Queensland women's footy guru in Aaron Russell. Aaron, thanks for joining us. How are you, mate? Fantastic, Peter. Really good. Thanks. Yourself? Mate, not too bad at all. Great to have you on the line. And first of all, we've got to talk about one of the two big games, Leishon Park. It was the Devils versus the Red Lions. Yeah, it, wasn't, it ended up being a little bit closer than I guess most people anticipated. Um, I think, uh, and as I was sort of pointing out, UQ's real problem, they were going to have to 
try and find a way to uh, to, to score mainly those key targets up forward. Um, they were able to get on the scoreboard a few times. Probably limit Yoronga. Um, kept on a lower score than, than I was predicting. So I think kudos to to UQ. Um, I think they they reduced the the previous game's margin by about two thirds. So did quite well. And a lot of the, a lot of those smalls chiming in, but. Um, you know the story for them is just just those key key targets, um, but a couple of their their juniors, Collingwood, one we could a name we might see pop up uh, for the Lions in the next coming years. Peter had a had a best on ground performance for UQ, um, and you know one one of your favourites, Emily Bates, uh, had a ripper for 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 Yoronga on the weekend, and and she's becoming one of the most consistent performers I think in Queensland. Absolute gun, Emily Bates. The score there, 8-5-53 to 3-7-25. The closest game of the round, though, was at Giffen Park. Yeah, wasn't that a, a ripper? So, um, again, I think uh, Coop just got over the line in the end uh, to the to the tune of 12 points uh, over over Cool and Gatter. Um, yeah, Cooley, obviously, with a, with a big omission. Um, in in Alex Hamlin, as we know, last week um, broke her fibula and her tibia um, in that game. That was the end result of that one last week, Peter. But um, yeah, they they Coops got over again. Um, you know, Ali uh, uh, Anderson from from uh, place for the Lions um, had a really good game. So she's starting to to gel with that side. Zilky probably had her best game of the year. Um, she'd been, I think, held quiet in her, her first few. Performances at club level had a really good game on the weekend, and so did Gibson playing her first game uh, for a Queensland club. And finally, at uh, Wilston Grange, it was the Gorillas uh, 2013-133 over Zilmir who didn't get on the scoreboard. Yeah, so uh, again, I mean, you know, something we've, I guess, everyone sort of saw coming. Gave Wilson a really good opportunity to um, you know, blood some of their players. Uh, that that were you know getting some games in div, in the in the division below, uh, and also opportunity for them to rest some of their some of their um, some of their bigger names. So some of those Lions girls in particular. Uh, but yeah, on the on the weekend, um, Jackie Yorston, a, a, a young up and comer, had a, had a really good game for them uh, on the weekend. She got a lot of midfield time, so she could be even a name that might uh, might become familiar over the next couple of years as well at national level. Keep an eye on that because uh, that's uh, something like, I think, five draft picks for the uh, Lions to use. And uh, as you mentioned, Collingwood earlier, everyone's keeping an eye on that hot under-18 talent coming through to find out who will uh, get a spot on the list. Of course, one name that also has to be thrown in there as well, mind you, is Jordan Zanchetta. Oh, yes. Isn't it? Well, that, that's, and that's all going to come down to her rehab and how she's tracking. Um, you know, I know if, I, if, I, you know, if there's anything about Jordan, you know she'll be doing whatever she can to make sure that she's well primed for for a return. Um, we're still expecting her to be, you know, even uh, a couple of months away from 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 even um, taking part on the field. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, she she's the name that not not only Yaron will be missing, but I'm sure the Lions, um, you know, will be will be licking their lips to have, uh, you know, in in that midfield there. Let's have a quick look at round nine this weekend. Just the two games being played on Saturday, 3rd of June, both at quarter to five starts. Uh, Kulangata, Tweed, Zulmiri, Eagles, and then uh, Maruchi Dorn, Yoronga, South Brisbane. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's right, Peter. So uh, Yoronga are making a trip up to Maruchi, which probably gives Maruchi the, the, you know, off, I guess probably the, one of the only things that they they uh, might cherish uh, about taking on Yoronga on the weekend. Um, you know, I think Yoronga, after 
after getting a, a slight scare from UQ, we'll, we won't be taking too many risks this weekend against Maroochydore. Um, you know, you expect expect Yoronga, even with the, the trip up the coast, um, to put in a strong showing. Um, but yeah, really give Maroochydore a really good look to see where they're at um, with what you would, would assume is the, is the you know, outright favourites of the competition at the moment. Um, and uh, and Cool and Gatter and Zilmir, well, again, it's obviously going to be a, a tough slog to Zilmir, but give Cooley a chance to uh, perhaps flood some of the some of those um, some of the youngsters uh, that they've got on the list, um, and, and a few of the girls that have been playing uh, in the in the young division, Peter. Well, Aaron, thanks very much for joining us, and we look forward to catching up with you next week to talk more QWAFL football. Thanks for having me, as always. Heading across now to the WAWFL where it was round eight and the Perth Angels 1-4-10 went down to the Peel Thunderbirds 14-11-95. Claremont 1-4-10 were no challenge for East Fremantle 10-8-68. In the thriller of the round, Coastal Titans 7-11-53 defeated by Swan Districts 9-2-56 while West Perth 7-7-49 were defeated by South Fremantle 8-7-55. East Perth having the bye for the round. So after eight rounds of the WAWFL, the ladder looks like this. Coastal Titans on top of the table, leading on percentage from Swan Districts, both tied at six wins, one loss. Claremont is sitting in third. Thunderbirds in fourth. East Fremantle sitting fifth. Uh, one game outside the top five, West Perth on 12 points, tied with South Fremantle. Perth Angels sitting in eighth and East Perth at the bottom of the table. Round nine in the WAWFL. All games played on Sunday, 12 p.m. at Altone Park. East Perth hosts the Thunderbirds. 2 p.m. at East Frio, the Sharks host Swan Districts. 2 p.m. at Grenville Reserve, East, uh, the Coastal Titans rather host South Fremantle. And at HBF Arena, 2 p.m. West Perth hosting Claremont. Heading across now to the ACT in the UNSW Canberra Women's League. Round seven was played over the weekend, and Ainsley 6-5-41 defeated the River in Alliance 1-7-13. ANU Griffins 14-8-92 defeated the ADFA Rams no score Kudamundra Blues couldn't get on the scoreboard going down the Quimbian Tigers who racked up 25-12 162 Eastlake 12-4-76 defeated Gungalan Jets 8-10-58 while the Malongolo Juggernauts 1-2-8 were defeated by the Balconan Magpies 11-8-74 with the Tuggeranong Hawks having the bye the fixture for round 8 sees Friday night football at Gungalan enclosed oval 7pm where the Gungalan Jets host the Ainsley Tricar Saturday morning, 10 a.m., the ADFA Rams host the Malongolo Juggernauts. 10 a.m. Saturday morning, Riverine Alliance host the Kudamundra Blues. 10 a.m. Saturday morning, Belcona Magpies host the Eastlake Demons. While 4.30 p.m. on Sunday, Greenway Oval, the Tuggeranong Hawks host the ANU Griffins. Quimbian Tigers having the bye. Now time to focus on the AFL Sydney Women's Premier Division competition. And on the line is our reporter in Lauren Hodgson. Lauren, how are you? Yeah, good, thanks, Peter. How are you? Not too bad. Bad at all. A couple of close games on the Saturday in the AFL Sydney Women's Premier Division. We start first of all at Pick and Oval. Mac Uni getting the job done over the Western Wolves. Yeah, it was a uh, low-scoring affair out at Pick and Oval with only three scores scored for the whole game. Uh, Mac Uni ran out winners twenty points to the Western Wolves nine. Uh, Mac Uni got their two goals in the first and second quarter, and whilst West left their run a little too late. Uh, scoring their only goal of the game in the last quarter. Uh, for the second game in a, in a row, inaccurate kicking almost cost the Warriors victory. However, they held on to win by 11 points. Uh, Keeley and Lawrence were the best on ground for the Warriors, whilst Leal Kassem and uh, Mars Otto were the best for the Wolves. 
At Gawley Oval, the afternoon game at 1pm, it was a thriller between the Southern Power and the Newtown Breakaways. Yeah, another really close game um, over the weekend, Peter. Uh, after a goalless first quarter, the Breakaways led it um, the other two changes and then held on in a tight uh, last quarter to get their first win of the season. Uh, but in a low-scoring game, you really need to take your chances um, and power's in, inaccuracy in front of goal uh, cost them. They had two more scoring shots, uh, yet lost the game. Um, so it just goes to show you how, uh, especially in those low-scoring games, how uh, every everything counts. Hull and Clout were um, power's best, whilst Davis and uh, Rutt were the best performed for the breakaways, uh, getting their first win of the season. Um, and you could see the, you know, the excitement um, in the players at the final siren that it was uh, obviously good to have a win, but a bit of a relief for them as well to finally uh, get on the winners' board. Another team that had a bit of inaccurate kicking but still managed to get the four premiership points were the Sydney Uni Bombers in their match against the UTS Shamrocks. Yeah, so Sydney Uni uh, ran out the match uh, winners 52 to UTS's 20. Uh, so with that win, Sydney Uni are uh, the only team to remain undefeated in the women, uh, Premier Division Women's Comp there, Peter. Um, Giants listed player or former Giants listed player uh, Isabella Rudolph and uh, uh, the other forward stack both kicked two goals each for the Bombers whilst McCutcheon kicked two for the Shamrocks. Um, the Shamrocks always improving um, and... Uh, McCutcheon is a, a regular strong performer for them, often kicking goals as well. So, but Sydney Uni, um, yeah, still going strong and uh, a good win for them there. And in the Sunday game, the Stingrays always in control against the Auburn Penrith Giants. Yeah, look, uh, the Stingrays won 48-2. to two. Uh, Strong performance up forward by Rebecca Beeson, who kicked five goals. Saw the Stingrays dominate the Giants. Uh, the Stingrays scored fairly evenly throughout the game and regularly, and the result never looked in doubt for them. Uh, Tomkins, who's also re-signed for the GWS Giants, was again named in the best for the Auburn Penrith side. Let's get your tips for the next round of AFL Sydney Women's Premier Division. And it goes this weekend, all games on Saturday, the 3rd of June. The first of the 10.30 games, the UNS Eastern Suburbs Stingrays uh, hosting the Newtown Breakaways. Yeah, look, I think uh, UNSW to have a win, but um, I'm predicting the breakaways will come out strong after winning their first game of the season, um, and we'll see a really good game there. At Mona Park, 10.30am, Auburn Penrith Giants hosting Mac Uni. Uh, look, at home, I'm tipping the Auburn Penrith Giants to end Mac Uni's winning streak and have a win in a uh, close game there, Peter. At Sydney Uni Oval, number one, 2pm, it's Sydney Uni Bombers hosting the Southern Power. Yeah, look, I think uh, Sydney Uni will continue their unbeaten run and will have a good win at home against Southern Power, who, after a strong start to the season, have uh, slipped away in the last few matches. And 2pm Saturday, 3rd of June at Trumper Park, UTS Shamrocks host the Western Wolves. After a close game uh, against the Warriors on their home turf last weekend, I'm tipping the Wolves to get back on the winner's board this week uh, with a win against the Shamrocks in another close game as well, I think, Peter. So some close games over the last couple of weeks, and I think that'll continue with this round as well. Well, Lauren, thank you very much again for your report. We look forward to catching up with you next week to talk more AFL Sydney Women's Premier Division. Thanks, Peter.
Time to take a look back now at round three of the Swiss Wellness VFL Women's Competition. And I've got on the line our lead caller in, Matthew Cox. Coxie, how are you? Pretty cold, Pete. Pretty cold after a week in the Gold Coast last week. Uh, these conditions are a little hard to get used to. What was a little hard getting used to is waking up early on a Saturday morning for uh, football at Box Hill City Oval, where the Box Hill Hawks 5-4-34 were done by St Kilda 10-13-73. But, Coxie, I guess good signs for the Hawks' faithful is they were a lot more competitive than they have been over the first two games. Yeah, and you even look at the the score of the first term, three straight 18 St Kilda, 2-1-13 Box Hill. That just, to me, shows that, well, they were competitive for at least one quarter of football and then they sort of paused from uh, that point onwards. But as you say, it's going to be slow and steady improvement for Box Hill uh, this season. And if they can get those minor wins, how we were talking about Knox last year, just the little wins on the board, just keep the momentum going and you never know what's going to happen towards the end of the year if they come up against one of the other bottom sides. But St Kilda um, needed to get this one under their belt. Their first two victories, they had to come from behind to grab them. Um, and, uh, yeah, 10-13, uh, sorry, the fir- first victory they had come from behind to get. They uh, went down to the Muggers in round two. Um, so this one, they just needed to get the win on the board, um, and uh, they did it. Probably could have done it a little more convincingly, but uh, they'll be happy with the result. Some of the better players for us on the day. Really happy with Madison Gay's performance and showing, obviously, why she's been signed to a rookie contract with Carlton. Rosie Dillon looked good for the Box Hill Hawks. But our player of the day, the woman who kicked the first ever goal in AFLW history, being Jazz Vagana. Yeah, really becoming one of the pivotal forwards, not just for the St Kilda Sharks, but I think for... Uh, certainly the, the VFL women's competition and no doubt into the near future, I reckon the AFLW as well. She's a, a sturdy player um, and now that she has got that uh, pretty much the number one role uh, inside 50 at the moment for the Sharks, um, even though she still she still manages to push up the ground, but uh, she's that real dominant focus for them. She's only going to continue to improve. And good to see that uh, Jess Gardner also got on the goal kickers list on the weekend with two goals. And Britt Benici was named among the better players as well on the website. There's the old term of winning ugly. The Muggers did that on Saturday afternoon. It wasn't their greatest performance, but they did the job. 5-5-35 over the VU Western Spurs, 2 6 yeah, remain undefeated in 2017. Uh, close contest, as you say, almost square at quarter time and, and half time, and then the Muggers were able to, to get a little bit of a buffer during the third term and uh, never looked uh, comfortable, or at least on the on the scoreboard. And for the Spurs, uh, similar to, to what I just said about the, the Box Hill Hawks, the little wins against these top sides. Um, obviously, the Spurs are going to have to beat the teams around them which uh, they're doing at the moment, it's these top sites that they need to start improving against. And if they can put in four-quarter efforts, um, that's the, the next little goal and achievement for them to unlock. Um, little disappointing they only got the two goals on the board on the weekend against the Muggers. But uh, Melbourne Uni, they're the top side at the moment, even though not on the ladder. But to me, they are. Uh, and I don't think they're firing on all cylinders at the moment. Talk about not firing on all cylinders. The Darabin Falcons, the first time in about five years they've lost two 
in a season. Uh, they're currently one and two. Four nine thirty three got done by a point against Diamond Creek. Five four thirty four. Interesting to note: Astro Connor still isn't back at the side. Neither is Daisy Pierce. Ka- uh, Katie Brennan, Darcy Vesio rested for the game, but coming back in, Karen Paxman and Melissa Hickey. Yeah, two of the real hard nuts of that Darabin side, trying to add a little bit more stability and experience uh, back in, although the loss of Brennan and, and Vessio on the weekend probably cost them in the end just to, to have that steadying influence late in the game. But uh, good to see Diamond Creek. They're up and about. They've started the season three and zip, which uh, is great after a very poor 2016. So good to see they're back. They are firing on all cylinders at the moment. They've played some of the bottom sides of the competition and, and got over them quite easily. And, and now being able to knock off Darabin, uh, who they've been runners-up to so many times before, um, that's, as we were talking about on the weekend, that's the mental edge that they've now got over the Falcons. And it's what the Muggers have. The Devils ran them close, so I say they've got that mental advantage in a game that we'll preview in a moment um, with the St Kilda Sharks and Darabin. There's an opportunity for the Sharks. So Darabin, I don't think, are the invincible team that they were last year or for the last number of years. Um, I think they've fallen back into the pack and these rotations that they're doing are hurting them. Cranbourne and Geelong. Uh, the Eagles are uh, giving Geelong one heck of a fright. Got within a couple of points at one stage. End up going down 2 4 16 to the Cats, 3 5 23. Yeah, they uh, came back in that third term uh, looking at the scoreboard. Didn't kick a goal in the first half and were, uh, were able to get the margin back uh, during that third quarter, which is a great result for, for Cranbourne after a, a tough start to the season. Use the buy to obviously reassess and, and restructure a few things. Um, obviously, they're still missing a, a heap of talent in that side, but it's good to see that they put in a, a competitive performance for, for Geelong. Uh, probably the first time that they've been tested uh, in 2017. It was tough conditions uh, on Sunday. So that would have made things incredibly difficult, especially being out uh, in the Casey Fields area. So... Um, a good result for them. Obviously, they're undefeated, top of the ladder, exceeding expectations, in my opinion, at the moment. But uh, they're probably going to be brought back to earth pretty quickly. Uh, indeed, they are. And we'll touch on that in just a moment's time. But uh, just an interesting thing to uh, take out of that game. Of course, Lily Mithin, once again, as part of the um, uh, best players. Uh, Blakeway, which they've been talking up a bit. Kate Darby, of course, from Carlton. Uh, uh, Strawn as well, who's out of Melbourne, uh, all starring in that game for um, Cranbourne. Uh, Gutridge, Canuccio, Moody and uh, Jacobson, of course, who's going across to uh, Melbourne. But... Um, uh, was named as an emergency and I don't think played there. Um, though she wasn't uh, uh, running out on the ground in the end. We're still waiting for Erin Hoare for Geelong to run out there, that former netballer who, when she does make her debut, I'm told is going to be the tallest uh, player in the competition at 194 centimetres. Well, that's, that's massive. Um, obviously, women's footy is not the, the tallest uh, league going around, so that's going to be an enormous advantage, especially over some of the ruck women that we already thought were pretty tall in the competition. That, uh, yeah, that's quite scary. Let's have a look at the game that we were at at Mulgrave Reserve, the Eastern Devils and Seaford. It was about 21 points the difference at halftime. We thought, oh, maybe the Tigerettes are a show. Instead, they just ended on two points of the day and the Devils ran away with it with a blistering third term. 8-8-56 in the end to run out 54-point winners. 
Yeah, and those two points for, for the Tiger Reds came in that third term. It was a was it going to be interesting to see which way it went at half time? It was a real arm wrestle for the first half, and even though Cedar didn't get on the scoreboard, they they were competitive, which is great for them. Uh, I know you saw them back in round two, but uh, the first time I've seen it this year put my mind at ease to say they haven't gone backwards. They're just missing a, a few key personnel to uh, plug a few holes, but. That'll come with the, the depth that they've got coming through that side. For the Houston Devils, I think we got to halftime and I, I was beginning to, to put a little question mark over them, thinking they should be doing this a little bit easier. They're on their home deck. It's scrappy conditions. They've got the players and the firepower to be able to, to knock the Tiger Reds over. If they didn't come out, which is what they did in the third term, if they didn't come out, I think we'd be seriously questioning whether they could make the top four in 2017. But credit to them, they did come out. They put on... Uh, so they put on four goals in the third term, gave themselves a, a real good buffer and basically closed the game out, which is what they, they needed to do. Um, and obviously had a lot of uh, contributors across the ground. Uh, Stacey Livingston was our best on ground. Uh, she was prominent both in defence early and up forward late in the game, uh, which is fantastic, and uh, was able to get a goal for her efforts as well. And obviously Meg Hutchins, the ever-reliable in defence. And Valerie Moreau uh, really stood up in this game, especially in the first half, uh, kicking kicking a goal. Um, so uh, congratulations to her. She, uh, she had a great performance on the weekend. And what's interesting to note with Seaford, it's one of those sides we thought that would trouble some of the uh, top four teams. Seaford at the moment currently sitting on the bottom of the table with a percentage of 22.73. Yeah, it is disappointing, but as I just said before, I don't think um, it, it'll be easy to say based on um, the scoreboard and the ladder position that they're in that they've probably gone a step backwards. Um, for me, though, there is. They've still got that. Uh, what's a way of saying it? The, the optimism to fight, which is I think we credited them something for last year. The attitude of to to see what happens and never give in. And, and to me, I saw that in that first half on the weekend. I just think they're still missing some very experienced players that uh, that can just lead a, a group of players that that's probably an average group. Um, they haven't got. Too many superstars, obviously Gillespie Jones and, and Hosking in the side on the weekend uh, were some of the uh, are some of the be- best ones in that side. But um, they just need a few more until that that uh, young list comes on a bit more. Um, but for me, not all hopes lost for the for the Tiger. It's it's a disappointing start to the year, but they'll only improve. So let's have a look at next week's matches, round four, the Swiss Wellness VFL Women's Competition. And boy, are there some interesting battles ahead. First of all, Sunday, 4th of June, 11 a.m. at Bill Laurie Oval, Darabin hosting the St Kilda Sharks. Yeah, well, whichever side uh, wins, uh, sorry, no, that, that's I've gone a little bit early with that stat. Um, <laughs> so Darabin can go two and two, or they can go one and three. I don't know how many times the senior Darabin side's been that in their uh, recent history. Um, it's it's quite scary to think the once dominant side of the competition is is starting to fall. But uh, you'd expect them if they bring Brennan and Vessio back into that side, and um, as you say, they've got Paxman and Hickey. I think if if the four of them are there, you add O'Day into that mix as well. Um, 
I think if, if they're there, they're able to steady the ship for the Sharks. Tell you what, they need to win this one just to just to keep the top four hopes alive. I know it's only very early in the season and they are sitting in fifth, but uh, just to maintain that that mental advantage that I think the Muggers, Diamond Creek, and the Eastern Devils now have against Darabin. These are the uh, the old sides of uh, the old uh, VWFL Premier Division, and I think the Sharks just need to get a win to to keep up with everyone else. It'll be just interesting to see what Sean Smith does during the week if he decides to stay the course of just rotating players or does he sense the opportunity and go, let's stack the side, let's get the best side in, let's go for it, let's see if we can knock them off because if it happens, if they knock Darren off, as you said, the Falcons would be one and three and not certainly out of finals, but all of a sudden they're uh, walking on a slippery slope. Yeah, they certainly would be. And I think I think Sean, I'm no footy coach myself, but I think Sean has has to see that this is an opportunity for the Sharks to really prove themselves. Even if they don't win, like the Devils did a couple of weeks ago, even if they don't win, they've at least got to run Darabin within a couple of points. And to do that, I think they do need to be at full strength or, or close to it. Um, so I think they've got to throw everything on the table. They've got the weekend off following, so there's a good time to recover and have an easy week on the track after that. They've got to throw everything at this and see what they come up with. It's a good test for them. Let's have a look at our match of the day on RSN Carnival on air 10am, bounce down 11am, Sunday 4th of June, Box Hill City Oval, uh, 8th and 9th, both sides without a win, uh, Box Hill Hawks versus the Cranbourne Eagles. You'd expect Cranbourne to get up in this one, but... uh... Who knows? Maybe Box Hill might have a little bit of a sniff if they can string a couple of quarters together and, and Cranbourne think it might be a little too easy. It might make it a very, very close contest. But I'm expecting Cranbourne to get their first win of 2017. I'll go with the home side and back in the Box Hill Hawks to get over the line in a tight one. Uh, at Melbourne University's main oval, Tin Alley, Sunday, 2pm, Melbourne Uni and the Eastern Devils. This is going to be a very, very interesting game, isn't it? Uh, for the Muggers, how, how do they come out after a, an ordinary performance against the Spurs? Uh, are they going to uh, just run over the top of the Eastern Devils or will the Devils run them close? I think the Muggers are going to win, but I think just for, for the Devils to continue this momentum and confidence they're starting to build, they really need to put in a four-quarter effort against the Muggers, even if they don't win. Yes, my concern for the Devils' win against Seaford was there were times, particularly in the second quarter, where the Devils had a lot of the play, a lot of the momentum, but like they have over the last year or two, there's been times where they've failed to put sides away when they're clearly in control. And uh, against sides like Melbourne Uni, you don't get a second chance. No, and, that, and that's what happened in round one too against the St Kilda Sharks. They they had a, a few lapses which cost them the game, even though they probably controlled momentum for the greater part of it so it'll be interesting to see I I don't I don't think they can yet put a four quarter effort in I think like many sides of the well many of the established sides of the competition they're still missing some key players Lambert um, is one of those and Tessiero as well yeah, there's a, there's a there's a whole list of them still to come back in that side, which is obviously going to to help with that consistency. But I think until they can plug those gaps, they're going to be a bit wish-washy for, for the next four rounds. Let's go to the game at RF Miles Reserve Sunday, 2 p.m. Seaford Tigerettes hosting the VU Western Spurs. 
Yeah, expecting the Spurs to get the job done here, anywhere between four and and six goals, a six-goal win. For Seaford, you just hope that not only are they competitive on field, but they make the most of the scoring opportunities they had. I think they, I can't remember the inside 50 count they had on the weekend, but they got the ball down there often enough, they just couldn't convert. So I think that'll be one of the things that Brett Alexander will, will be wanting to his side this weekend to convert some of those opportunities and, and make an impact on the, on the scoreboard. And who can believe we're talking about this at round four? 2 p.m. Sunday, 4th of June, Plenty War Memorial Park. This is second hosting first. Diamond Creek hosting Geelong. I would have loved to have been the punter that would have this in for a top of the table clash in round four. I think many people might have been saying it was it's going to be the game at, at Tinelli that probably would have been that. But uh, Diamond Creek Geelong undefeated in 2017. One side's going to go home uh, disappointed. I think that'll be Geelong. I think. Yes, they've had a fantastic start to the year. They're up and about, which which is great uh, for their first year in the competition. But uh, coming up against a Diamond Creek side that uh, has got the momentum and the wind at their back, um, I don't think there's going to be much stopping them, especially on their home deck. Um, it'll be an interesting one because it, it, it's probably the first opportunity we get to see just how good Geelong is. I know they're, they're undefeated and have a massive percentage at the top of the table, but uh, this is the first time that we'll see them in action against one of the, the premier sides of the competition. So it'll be a, a good marker to see where, where they are at and whether they actually are a genuine contender. Well, I'll go on the line and say this will be a Diamond Creek victory. And I'm so confident that if Geelong do get up to their captain, Beck Goring, if you're listening, if you win this game, anytime you can see me, you can say, Pete, didn't you tip against us that time against Diamond Creek? And you'll get a drink every single time from now on into the future. That's how confident I am the Creekers will win on their home deck. Is that all I have to do for a drink? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, 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 agree, I agree with you. I think I think Diamond Creek they, they should win this and win this quite comfortably. But um, I just hope it's a good game. Thanks once again, Coxie, and we look forward to your company in the commentary box in a couple of weeks' time. Our GhostPlayFooty.com match the day on RSN Carnival this week is on Sunday, the 4th of June, on air 10 a.m. for an 11 a.m. bounce. We are presenting the Box Hill Hawks versus the Cranbourne Eagles at Box Hill City Oval. Eighth versus ninth. Both sides yet to get a win after three rounds. One of them will walk away with premiership points on Sunday morning should be a cracking game and if you can get along there to box hill city able to check it out if you can't remember it is live on rsn carnival digital radio or download the rsn app then click carnival and just hit play and you listen to the game on your mobile phone anywhere around the world or if you don't want to download the app to your phone you want to use your pc that's okay go to rsn.net.au click on digital radio and you can listen to carnival via that way just before i go a quick reminder again you can download this program as a podcast by going to soundcloud or itunes from thursday mornings and searching for girls play footy i'm peter holden it's been great to have your company and we'll catch you again next week